we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit again today. We're kind of plugging away some conversations um, about who he is and what he does in us and in the church. Um, And today we're going to look at a few passages that talk about something called spiritual gifts. And the reason we're talking about spiritual gifts in a series on the Holy Spirit. Sorry, I was like, is that a fire alarm again? A PTSD. Oh, no. Where's Scout? Um, He was the one that pulled it. I don't know if we we made that clear. Um, The reason we're going to talk about spiritual gifts in a series on the Holy Spirit is because one of our passages that we'll look at in a second actually calls spiritual gifts manifestations or like revelations of the Holy Spirit. And so to the biblical authors, spiritual gifts are about how the Holy Spirit shows up in the life of the church. And so my one goal today is really not to like convince you of anything or to like say, well, here's my point of view and I think that you should believe me or trust me or whatever, uh, but to kind of like survey the landscape of how spiritual gifts are presented in the scriptures. What are the, these gifts? What are they supposed to do? And where is there like agreement and maybe some disagreement about them? I, I will tell you what I think at this point in my life as a 32-year-old man who's trying to understand these things, but um, there's a difference sometimes for me of what I think now and then like a pastoral word where I'm like, I really believe that this is the truth and you need to like, I really strongly consider you to see it this way. That's not where I'm at yet, but I will still tell you what I think. If you can appreciate that distinction, that's what tonight's about. Um, We're gonna do a two minute recap um, of the Old and the New Testament, like a biblical theology of the Holy Spirit, um, in case you missed some of the weeks. The word spirit in the Old Testament is ruach, and in the New Testament, it's pneuma. Both of those words mean wind or breath, or um, the idea of like an invisible and energizing force, wind being a force that can like move something or the breath that you breathe in, invisible, but it gives you life and energy. Um, So that's the word that is used of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is so much more than just a force like the wind, but the Holy Spirit we find in the Old Testament is actually God himself. In the Old Testament, The Spirit kind of temporarily fills specific people for specific purposes. The prophets look forward to this day in the future where God's Spirit would fill all of God's people, not just some for some of the time, but all of them. It would give them completely new hearts that kind of repairs their brokenness in some way that allows, would allow them to successfully follow God's laws, where if you read the Old Testament, they very unsuccessfully follow God. Prophets also looked forward to this figure called Messiah who would be uniquely filled by the Spirit of God and he would bring good news to the world that he would heal the sick and bring justice and free the oppressed. Um, And then in the Gospels, we see exactly this happening. Jesus is called the Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. the authors of the gospel tell, tell us these stories of, of Jesus, like the, the spirit of God descending on Jesus like a dove, Jesus being filled with the spirit and the father affirming Jesus as his beloved son. There's another passage where Jesus is reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and the, the section that he's reading is talking about this anointed servant of the Lord being filled with the spirit, empowered to bring healing and justice to the world. And after Jesus reads this, he says, this is being fulfilled in, right in front of you um, before your very eyes in me. This is what, exactly what I'm doing. Jesus then fulfills the prophet's other promises when he um, tells his disciples that he's gonna send them a helper. He said, I won't leave you as orphans, but I will come to you in the person of the Spirit. Jesus says his Spirit will always be with them, will comfort them, will help them remain faithful to Jesus after he leaves. 
After Jesus is crucified and resurrected, he reaffirms this and tells his disciples, you guys are gonna receive the Spirit and you're gonna be empowered to make disciples, not just here in Jerusalem, but actually out into the ends of the earth. And then in the book of Acts, we see exactly that happen. Just like the prophets promised and just like Jesus promised, every single disciple of Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Both John and Jesus earlier used the language of being baptized in the Spirit or immersed in the Spirit, but Peter borrows the language of the prophet Joel and describes it as the Spirit being poured out on, on all of Jesus' followers, but the imagery is the same. It's a, it's a soaking, immersion, baptism, total newness of life in the Spirit of God. And when this happens in the book of Acts, they all begin speaking in other languages. Um, and all these people from every nation and language in Jerusalem, for, they're there for Israel's festival called the Feast of Weeks. They all start hearing their own language being spoken. And so the Spirit of God was manifesting himself through these disciples, through these languages that they didn't otherwise know so that they could bear witness to who Jesus was. The end of his speech um, at, at Pentecost, Peter um, is explaining to the crowds what's happening when they're all watching this happen. And he says in Acts 2.36, therefore let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. This is Peter's like explanation for what are we seeing when these people are speaking languages that they don't really have any business knowing what's happening. He's saying this is happening to verify that this Jesus is in fact the Messiah. It's verifying the Lordship of Jesus through all these languages. Um, they're communicating kind of in a miraculous way the nature of salvation in Jesus. And so Jesus had promised that all his followers would receive the Spirit. That happened, that they would be empowered to bring Jesus' message to the ends of the earth, and that's what happens in the rest of the book of Acts. We read story after story of people hearing the gospel and deciding to believe Jesus. Churches being planted, they're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Stories of the apostles being um, miraculously filled with the Spirit to be, have boldness and energy to tell all these people about Jesus even when it was dangerous for them. Acts ends with Paul kind of at the epicenter of the known world at the time in Rome, preaching the gospel. Um, so in other words, what Jesus commissioned the apostles to do at the beginning of the book, to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, we see actually thematically accomplished by the end of the book of Acts because Paul had made it to Rome preaching the gospel. And so it happened just like Jesus said. Paul and Peter and others, all these apostles were planting churches all along the way in the book of Acts, um, going on these epic missionary journeys, doing so in the power of the Spirit. And we get windows into how the Spirit was at work in these churches through the letters of the New Testament, primarily the letters of Paul. So you read in Acts that they planted churches and you get little kind of tidbits of like, oh, they planted a church in Ephesus and these two kind of apostles or disciples were part of that. But the letters that we, Paul, like sometimes it's correspondence between Paul and another church or just a letter that Paul wrote. That's how we know, like we have context, like what was their church like? What was, what was happening in them? So Paul wrote these letters to these churches that he started or helped to start and we get even kind of great, greater detail in uh, how important the work of the Spirit is. So to summarize like the biblical theology of the Holy Spirit, um, we looked last week at this, this book on the theology of the Holy Spirit that I've been reading, um, kind of summarizes the work of the Spirit with, with this sentence, that the Spirit mediates God's presence, imparts life, reveals truth, fosters holiness, supplies power, and affects unity. This is a great summary, like a truly great summary of kind of the whole Bible's teaching on who the Spirit is and what he does. Um, but it's a summary. It's, it's the big, big picture from kind of a zoomed out vantage point as if we could see the whole Bible all at once. What we're looking at today 
is the same picture, the same exact picture, but we are zooming in as far as the resolution will allow. Imagine you're like, you know, pinching in on a phone. Um, we're zooming in as far as we can on one part of the picture. I think that's what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And I think it's important to acknowledge that, that we are studying this in the context of what we've already kind of acknowledged as truth about the Holy Spirit, that he fills every believer, and that part of that filling is for our empowerment and enablement to obey him and to follow him. That's like from page one all the way through. So what we're reading today isn't separate from that. It's actually a really kind of zoomed in, detailed look. And so we need to be careful as if we were in a big forest looking at like the bark and the branches and the leaves of a tree, not to forget the fact that we are in a beautiful forest. Um, so we're zoomed in here. Um, so if we could throw that quote back up again, what we're reading today and talking about today is kind of like sort of answering how. How does the Spirit impart life and reveal truth and foster holiness and supply power and provide unity for us? The big picture, the forest, if you will, is that that's who the Spirit is. That's what he does. But the zoomed-in details here in 1 Corinthians 12 and in a few other passages, that's kind of part of the how. How does, what are some of the ways that the Spirit does this for us? What does it look like with the Spirit's boots on the ground, so to speak, and the lives of God's people to empower and enable us to be who God wants us to be? You guys ready to dig in just a little bit? Okay. 1 Corinthians 12, if you have Bibles, open up there. If you don't have Bibles, open up there anyways. Verse one. Now, we're gonna read through verse seven. About the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know, what, uh, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, there's the phrase, to each one, each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So we're gonna stop there. Paul wants these people to be informed. They have a lot of thoughts. This is probably the clearest New Testament letter where Paul is like really responding to something that they had written before. Um, so they have questions. And if you read this and kind of gather the context, they were like a thriving, vibrant church that was eager for all the stuff of the Spirit and they were getting a lot of things wrong too. So Paul is kind of, this is where he's addressing their questions and kind of where they were getting off track. Um, he wants them to be informed about the gifts of the Spirit. What's strange to me, uh, that phrase, gifts of the Spirit, uh, four words. In Greek, it's one word, pneumaticon. The root of that is pneuma, which is spirit. Um, usually that word is an adjective in Greek, um, just the kind of means spiritual, spiritual truth, spiritual wisdom, that sort of thing. Um, that's how it's used elsewhere in the New Testament. But in this case and a few others, it's used like a noun. So like spirituals or things related to the spirit. The word gift isn't, isn't here in the Greek, but the idea that Paul is bringing up is like stuff that has to do with the spirit. So they write him a letter or two with all these questions. They had questions about spiritual gifts, spiritual stuff. And now Paul is basically kind of like a shorthand way of saying, okay, about the spirit stuff, let's, let's dig into this so that you guys can know what's up. 
And verses two and three compares their old pagan religions to their new way in Jesus, which is enabled by a God who speaks um, and works among them as spirit. And then verse four says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. Now we have a different word. Um, the word for gift isn't pneumaticone, it's charismatone. Charisma is the Greek word for gift. Um, and it actually comes from the root charis, which is the Greek word for grace. Um, and so some translations and even some kind of, I don't know, sections of Christianity still call the spiritual gifts grace gifts, which I think is actually a beautiful way to talk about it. Um, but the main point Paul's making here is that there are different kinds. There is a variety of gifts, and it is the Spirit who gives them out. In verses five and six, Paul goes on in these verses to say that there's different kinds of gifts, but it's all service to the same Lord, different kinds of like activities or different results of our serving the Lord, but it's, it's all enabled by the same God. He's, at this point, we're not like teaching through the whole passage, but he's trying to like get at the, continue to drive down the point that they needs them to be unified. They're all serving the same, Lord, the same Lord, the same master, and so all the division they're experiencing is actually nonsensical because they should be uh, united in what they're doing. But then we get to verse seven. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's really easy to skip over that verse. Um, I think it's probably the most important one that we'll read tonight. Um, because we, it tells us essentially what a spiritual gift is and its purpose. Um, and it's kind of the third phrase describing a spiritual gift. Paul calls it a manifestation of the Spirit. It's an actual, like, um, I think, in the same way there's like Old Testament, there's like little images, like we sometimes call them Christophanies, sometimes that's not the right word, but we like little appearances of Jesus or the second person of the Trinity in the Old Testament. We're like, oh wow, it's Christ, cool. Um, these are like that, revelations of the Spirit for us today in the church. He indwells us, yes, but also we see him, we experience him through working in your spiritual gifting. Um, so that's what I think he's saying here. These are manifestations of the Spirit. Um, in this context, it's like, um, maybe I said this, it's like Jesus, or like the Spirit is revealing, he's disclosing himself to the church. He's showing up in the church through the use of these gifts. And so we have here in short succession, verse one, four, and seven, three like um, different ways of describing or um, understanding what spiritual gifts are. We have pneumaticone, the, the spirituals, the spiritual things related to the spirit, charismatone, the word for gifts, and then phanerosis, the revelation of the spirit. So these spirit revealing grace gifts are given to each. And it's very clear that this means every single person who is a Jesus follower who is filled with the Spirit. No one is left out from receiving a gift from the Spirit. And their purpose, Paul says, plain as day right up front, is for the benefit of all or for the common good. They're not trophies. They're not possessions to make you feel extra spiritual or prideful. They are gifts that reveal the Spirit and His work for the benefit of whatever group you call church. So I think up to this point, um, I think like 99% of Christians would probably be in general agreement. Maybe I've said something in a funky way that you're like, oh, I didn't like that. But for the most part, we're good. I don't have studies to back that up. It's just my guess, my gut feeling. There's a variety of gifts from the Spirit. Every Christian has at least one gift and the purpose of them um, is for building up the church. So far, so good? Okay. Now, 
what are these gifts, these charisma tone? Um, this passage that we're in, we'll list them out, and then a few others will too, and we're gonna bust through them as quick as we can. Starting in verse eight of chapter 12. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits, or sometimes called discernment. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So we have message of wisdom, a message of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, or discernment we'll call it, speaking in different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the same spirit. He distributes them to each one as he determines. And then in verse 28, Paul repeats some of them, but adds a few. So we're gonna look at verse 28. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. So he adds in uh, helping, um, administrate, administrating or guidance, depending on your translation. And then he begins that list with a new one, apostles, which may be an office in the church, or it may be a spiritual gift, or maybe it's both. Um, let's now look at Romans 12. It's really convenient that our spiritual gifts passage both have a chapter 12 starting point. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse six, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. There's a thematic tie there. The word charismatone, root and grace. Paul's talking about these gifts from the Spirit are part of the grace that we receive when we become part of God's family. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Finally, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Did you catch that? These gifts are the various forms, are the varied forms of grace that God gives to us. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. So Peter calls these gifts the, the varied grace of God or grace in its various forms. And then he mentions speaking and serving, which maybe those are two individual gifts. They also could be two categories of gifts. Um, these are the gifts that are mentioned in Scripture. You might have seen other gifts uh, added to different spiritual gift inventories. There's a couple passages where it's like, is that part of Paul's list or someone's list or is that just a separate deal? I think that that's, I think that's is a good list, um, but maybe there's some others that you think should be on there, that's okay. Um, I actually think there's a really compelling case to be made that there are a lot of other spiritual gifts that are not listed here in scriptures. Um, that is to say, is it not, 
weird. I don't think it's that weird to think that the Spirit might work through someone else in a different way than what was listed here because he can do what he would like to do. Um, things like intercession, um, people, I think there's a spiritual gift in dealing with uh, demonic um, powers, um, that sort of thing. So those are just two examples, but um, there's a good case to be made for that. Um, with those scriptures in our minds, we're gonna look um, at a definition of spiritual gifts. What are these things? Um, I've been reading this book called Understanding Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storms. Here's his definition. A spiritual gift is when the Holy Spirit manifests his presence and imparts his power into and through individual believers to enable them to exceed the limitations of their finite humanity so that they might faithfully and effectively fulfill certain ministry tasks for the building up of the body of Christ. I love that definition, found it very helpful. I, I don't know what's lacking from the definition. The whole book was amazing. If you are at all interested in this topic of spiritual gifts, I would highly recommend reading that. Um, Sam Storms is what we call a continuationist, um, which means he believes that all of these spiritual gifts that we've listed here so far um, are still active and today and should be used by the church. The opposite of this is called cessationism, meaning some of the spiritual gifts have ceased and are no longer active in the church. Stereotypically, hear me say that, stereotypically, conservative, reformed, Baptist camps um, might generally be more on the cessationist side of this conversation on spiritual gifts, um, whereas Pentecostal, Assemblies of God, Foursquare, Charismatic, a denomination coming from Charismatone, um, might be on the continuationist side. Sam Storms is biblically incredibly conservative. He's reformed, he's a Calvinist, and he's also a continuationist, um, which is kind of wild. Um, so he's a cross-genre theologian, which for some reason to me lends a ton of credibility, and I really enjoyed what he had to say. Probably the best explanation and instruction about the concept of spiritual gifts. Um, it's not very short, but it's really good. You don't even have to agree with his conclusions, but just like the journey of watching someone kind of process all the scriptures that are related to this was really helpful. Um, we can throw up the resource page, Julia. Um, I also read Spiritual Gifts by Tom Schreiner. He's a Southern Baptist um, seminary professor, pastor. Um, he wrote about a book called Spiritual Gifts, and he writes from the cessationist perspective, but what I would consider a really um, well-reasoned and like pro-spirit <laughs> cessationist position. Uh, it's very, very good. I'm in the process of reading through, um, there's like this category of books called Four Views, and I bet you can't guess what they do, but they present four differing views on a topic, usually like left, right, and then two intermediate positions. That's exactly what this one does. Um, it's also very good. Is it up there? Sweet. And then the one that I mentioned like ad nauseum is The Holy Spirit, creative title by Greg Allison and Andres Kostenberger. Super good. Um, so that's kind of the resources I've been looking through. So we just mentioned there's the camps of like continuationist, cessationist. We're gonna just look at the list of spiritual gifts. I'm gonna do the like fastest possible definition I can. All these definitions are coming from a blog post on Tyndale's website. So Tyndale's like a Bible publishing type of uh, company and they had a post that kind of had these spiritual gift definitions um, in a succinct spot. These definitions are not scripture. I might read one and you're like, that's not what I thought that gift was. Maybe it's not. Um, but I didn't hate any of the definitions, so we're gonna read them. That's my standard. Um, 
administration, the ability to help steer the church or a ministry toward the successful completion of God-given goals, skills in planning, organization, and supervision. Discernment, or we read it as distinguishing between spirits. Um, the wisdom to recognize truth from untruth by correctly evaluating whether a behavior or teaching is from God or another ungodly source. Evangelism, left off our list, sometimes included in other spiritual gift lists. The ability to successfully communicate the message of the gospel, especially to non-believers. Encouragement or exhortation, competence and offering. Encouragement, comfort and support to help someone be all that God wants them to be. Faith, people with this gift have such great confidence in the power and promises of God that they can stand strong in their belief no matter what may try to shake them. Giving, those who have this gift are particularly willing and able to share what resources they have with pleasure and without the need to see them returned. Help, someone with this gift is able to support or assist members of the body of Christ so that they may be free to minister to others. Knowledge, we read it in 1 Corinthians as messages of knowledge. Um, it's the gift of someone who actively pursues knowledge of the Bible. This person may enjoy analyzing biblical data, nerd, and has the ability to like relay that to people, I think is part of the gift. Um, leadership, this aptitude marks a person who is able to stand before a church to direct the body with care and attention and to motivate them toward achieving the church's goals. Mercy, this is the defining trait of a person with great sensitivity for those who are suffering. It manifests itself in offering compassion and encouragement and in a love for giving practical help to someone in need. Serving, a talent for identifying tasks needed for the body of Christ and using available resources to get the job done. Teaching, the skill to teach from the Bible and communicate it effectively for the understanding and spiritual growth of others. And finally, wisdom, the gift of being able to sort through facts and data to discover what needs to be done for the church. So, in my understanding, those ones are the ones where no one's really like, is that still active today? Those are the, like the good ones. Uh, the next ones are the maybes. We don't know. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Tongues, the supernatural ability to speak in another language, one that has not been learned, um, either an actual human language that you don't know, or a lot of people believe that it is like some type of prayer language. It's a, it's a real language, actually, but it's a language of angels, perhaps, that you're very much communicating in worship to the Lord. Um, so that's tongues. Interpretation of tongues is to translate the message of someone who has spoken in tongues. Prophecy, the ability to speak the message of God to others. Sometimes involves foresight or visions of what is to come, but also sometimes doesn't. Um, the skill is used to offer encouragement, warning, or correction. Um, healing, the capability used by God to restore others, be that physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. Miracles, to be enabled by God to perform mighty deeds, which witnesses uh, acknowledge to be of supernatural origin and means. And then again, maybe it should be on a gift list, maybe it's just an office of the church at one point, a person sent apostleship, a person sent to new places with the gospel. Heard of missionaries going to different countries to help spread the word, they could be described as apostles. They can provide leadership to other churches or ministries and offer advice on spiritual matters. Okay, we're done reading through lists. If you Googled spiritual gifts lists, that's probably something like what you'd find. Again, maybe a few differences here or there, maybe different definitions, but I think that's pretty good. I'm gonna circle back uh, and just quickly talk about the continuationist and cessationist deal. I'm not gonna solve it for you in case you were hoping that I was going to. There are two that I've observed and what I've read, two main reasons why cessationists argue that some of these more miraculous spiritual gifts have ceased to be given by the Spirit. Um, and really these are the same categories for continuationism and I guess for understanding anything in the, in the scriptures, but it's our experience and our understanding of scripture. 
So the argument from experience for cessationists is this, and most won't outright say, this is why I don't believe it, but it is very much kind of like uh, an undercurrent in a lot of cessationist arguments is that we don't see today or experience the miraculous gifts of the Spirit like the early church did through the apostles. So that's the logic, is if these gifts were supposed to continue, why, why aren't they happening in me and around me and in my church? So that's the argument from experience. It doesn't sound incredibly thoughtful when you put it that way, but it, again, it is the truth of what many cessationists believe, whether they would acknowledge it or not. Um, if God wanted to use these gifts, why isn't it happening more? And then scripture. Cessationists would argue from the general theme in the book of Acts and then a, really just a few, like three, two, two other scriptures, three other scriptures, um, that the purpose of the miraculous signs and wonders, healings, tongues, prophecies, miracles, that they were specifically for the purpose of validating the ministry of the, the apostles and their gospel message. And therefore, they would argue that these gifts ceased with either or both the um, death of the apostles um, or the closing of the biblical canon. So once the church kind of decided we're good, this is our Bible, then there was no need for the gifts anymore and so they gradually kind of like fizzled out is what <laughs> the argument is. There's no more revelation from God is needed. We have what we needed. So that's like a really broad, like kind of sweeping um, summary of the cessationist arguments. But from what I understood, those are like the two categories. Um, continuationists argue for the continuation of all the gifts based on I believe the plain kind of face value interpretation of the scriptures that we've just read. Um, and I will say this, the burden of proof is on cessationists to prove that certain gifts are no longer active in the church today. Because I think the clearest passages of scripture that don't require a lot of like, well, if you understand it this way and maybe do this, face value, the plainest way of understanding them seem to suggest point to the fact that Paul for the church in Corinth and the church forever believed that all of them, all of these people should desire and use all of these gifts that are mentioned. Continuationists also argue from experience. They experience the charismatic gifts um, and therefore they believe that they're all meant to be used. Um, again, if you wanna dig into um, what scriptures those are specifically that maybe a cessationist would point to to say, here's what I'm looking at. Um, I can show you what those are or you can look into those books that I mentioned. Um, so this is me telling you what I think, remember? There's like the pastoral word, which isn't even God's word. It's just my like more stronger <laughs> opinion that I think should be formative for us. And then there's my like, this is kind of what I think right now. Um, I am not convinced by any of the cessationist arguments that I have read yet. Which leads me to believe that I must not have the gift of tongues because I've never spoken in tongues. But I might be open to someone having a message in a tongue for us. And then I would certainly be open to someone uh, asking the Spirit for an interpretation. Um, I'm wondering now, as I reflect on this, if there are times in my life where I've felt very strongly led by the Spirit to speak to somebody, where I almost feel like I've, I'm given a particular sentence to say to somebody, and it's just like in neon lights in my mind, like you must say this to this person right in this moment. And in another life, I might say, oh yeah, the Lord led me to say that, you know, 
that's maybe commonplace for some, for some people. But as I'm reflecting on it, I'm like, is, maybe that's the gift of prophecy. Maybe the Lord is providing things that he wants to say to his people through me in those moments. Uh, again, these are where I lean now, but I have a ton of questions still. Um, there are questions that we have to wrestle with on either side of this issue. Uh, namely, if some of the gifts have ceased, how, how do we make sense of all the Christians and all the churches who seem to be thriving in them and exercising them week in and week out, day in and day out? Or if they haven't ceased, how, what do we make of ourselves and churches like ours uh, not exercising them? If they're intended to be, what do we do? Um, so those are questions that I think that you should ask. If they're, all the gifts are green light, we should be using them today, then what do you make of your church experience so far? Um, or if they're not, if someone just like, just dropped like a truth bomb on you, like, oh my word, I'm wrong, and the certain gifts have ceased, uh, how would you make sense of that in, based on your church experience? Believe it or not, though that debate and that question is fun, maybe for some of you, maybe for others, you're like, I could not care less. Um, I think assessing which gifts are active for today is on a whole other secondary category of importance compared to what Paul is really trying to say to us in these passages. It is totally secondary. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but again, let's not miss the big picture. Let's remember that we've kind of zoomed in on something really close. Let's zoom out just a little bit. Um, Paul wants us to want the gifts and use them. That is what he wants more than anything, that we would desire them, that we wouldn't um, reject them or despise them but that we would want them and that we would use them for the building of the church. First Peter 4.10, it says, use your gifts. This is how we steward the grace that God has given us. Romans 12, over and over again, Paul says, if your gift is this, then use it. And if it's encouragement, then encourage people. If it's leading, then lead people. Um, he wants us to use it. First Corinthians 12.7, you're given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for your brothers and sisters here at this church. First Corinthians 14.12, he says, eagerly desire and excel in the gifts that build up the church. He goes on to say, especially prophecy, because it builds one another up. And so, regardless of whether or not a small section of these gifts are not meant to be desired and utilized today, or whether they are, we are supposed to, your duty as a Jesus follower, I will say this pastorally, strongly, your duty as a Jesus follower is to desire eagerly and utilize the gifts that God has given you. There may be something that God wants to do in someone at this church, and the Holy Spirit might be waiting to reveal himself through you to this person, through using your gift. It may be a message of knowledge, understanding. It may be wisdom that the Lord gives you. It may be an act of mercy or service. It may be through generosity. It may be helping me <laughs> with administration and leadership in this church because I don't know what in the world I'm doing. And maybe, maybe through a prophetic word from the Lord. Maybe God would give us the grace of healing in our church, physical healing. My favorite, uh, I've kind of 
reflecting on all the notes and the books that I've been reading on this topic, um, my favorite thing came from these notes I took in seminary in one of our units talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts. And one of my teachers, his name is Rick Boya, he's a pastor in Southern Oregon, he said this, God is more interested in your receiving his anointing than naming it. What you call it or when you think it occurs is secondary to dedicating your life to Jesus and knowing that he will fill you. God is more interested in you using your gift than in categorizing it. Don't sweat the labels if you can't find one. Just do what brings people to Jesus and or encourages them. I'll also add one more pastoral thought. Um, Whatever gifts are or are not active today, uh, God can do all that he means to do, can accomplish everything that he wants to through these gifts and maybe, and maybe others. But if the gifts, some of them have ceased, it's not limiting God's ability to do it, the Spirit's ability to do what he wants. We're not gonna miss out on his goodness, on his work in our lives and the building up of our church if some of these miraculous and revelatory gifts of God are no longer given. I'd also add on the other side, if they are still part of the church's tool belt of gifts, then I would, like, I would like to have those be a part of our church life so that we might be built up exactly as God wants us to be.